Hey guys, as you know, our world is going through an unprecedented time during the COVID-19 pandemic. To strike out this virus, we, as coaches, have partnered with Fred Hutch Research Institute, who is working on the front lines to stop the spread of COVID-19. Please consider donating to hashtag coaches versus COVID, and here's a word from Hutch. Your support for Fred Hutch is a strike against COVID-19 and a step toward a healthier world. Right now, Hutch scientists with expertise in infectious disease, immunology, public health, and data science are working urgently to speed up testing, track the spread of the virus in real time, and safely test new treatments and vaccines. Your contribution to Coaches vs. COVID will help expand this urgent work. Donate now at fredhutch.org slash coaches versus COVID. What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Kirk and ATI work with athletes and individuals who aspire to be athletic to develop and maintain their potential using muscle activation techniques, performance enhancement, and integrated systems. On the show, Kirk and I discuss how athletes compensate, which is vital for our survival, but can be a good or a bad thing for our athletic movements. We get into muscle activation techniques, and a ton of different ways to recover, including sleep and what we eat. This was such an enlightening conversation, and you're going to love it. Here is Kirk Bradshaw. Been really excited about this conversation for a while, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to digging in, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, because uh, with a lot of the guests that I have on the show, I, I know them a decent amount, and I We've had a couple text conversations and that's about it. So I'd, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better and uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are. Well, first off, I'm a huge family guy. So and Cody knows this. I'm very proud of two children and an awesome wife. So that's, that's first and foremost, I'm a massive family guy. So very blessed. My wife's actually showing up now because I forgot my charging cord like an idiot and I want my <laughs> computer to die halfway through this. So yeah, she's come racing in in the Jeep. But um, I, my background, I was um, an athletic trainer major in school, uh, athletic training major, I should say. So sports med, um, always been very interested on the preventative side of well as well. And then um, worked at a high school post, postgraduate. I uh, was a head athletic trainer at 22 years old which was really interesting because, you know, in retrospect, half the kids were a couple years younger than me and I'm, you know, in a leadership position, which was always really interesting. Um, was a head athletic trainer in high school, started speed agility camps in an attempt to try and keep kids from falling apart. And, and I kind of threw that name in there because what I was, what I was trying to do was keep kids from getting hurt. But I knew if I called it an injury prevention camp that no one would show up. So Right. I had to throw in the, the exciting, you know, speed agility words uh, to try and get kids to, to show up to these camps. And, and uh, it started out with 12 kids. The next year, there was over 100. Then we had six different clinics all, their, all over kind of Western Washington. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of blossomed into me working with athletes, um, trying to keep them from getting hurt. And, and then we started learning more and more and more about actually uh, producing positive outcomes as well, meaning mm-hmm. – the things that people are looking for, the increased bat speed, arm speeds, 40 times, vertical jumps. Uh, but my bias has always been, how do I keep people from falling apart? Sure. And that's where, you know, some years down the road, I started this place 16 years ago um, because I, I wanted a centralized location where I could train athletes and minimize chance for injury. 
a couple years into it, I ran into um, muscle activation techniques. And since it's been this quest to be one of the best in the world at what I do, and, and hopefully I'm, I'm reaching that point. Um, I'm getting there. I learn every single day. I'm very blessed to, to work with people like Cody and, and people that uh, he, has sent, he has sent me. Um, guys, some of the guys have been here since they were, gosh, 12, 13 years old. Um, it's been quite, quite an experience to watch these guys grow up and become young men and start families. And, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are now is uh, we have a facility full of 14 people. Um, started with two of us. And our, our primary focus is now uh, very MAT centric, meaning mm -hmm. everything is built around making sure the nervous system's actually functioning appropriately prior to throwing resistance at people because resistance is just, just stress, right? Sure. So if we take a body that's full of compensations, and this is, this is a huge paradigm shift for people to, to understand. If you take a body that's full of compensations, which is we are, what we are designed to do as human beings, we're designed to compensate as a means of survival. Right. But if you take a body that's full of compensations, which most athletes are because they put stresses on their body continuously and their body's just doing what it's designed to do, but then you put it under stress, which is what workouts are, you're going to take a body that's full of compensations and make those compensations stronger. So in an attempt to prevent injury, a lot of people are actually expediting injury. They're making things happen faster, which is very unfortunate. Um, so what we do is make sure all the athletes are functioning and then we start put them through resistance work and attempt to callous their body. And that's a word I use a lot because it means a lot to me. Yeah. Callousing. We're trying to toughen that body. And it's something the body, the body does. And you guys know as baseball guys, what happens to your hands when you take a ton of hacks, you start building up calluses. Um, but you can do that to any tissue in your body. We have different names for it, but you can do that to the nervous system, the connective tissue, your muscles, your bones, your, your brain. I mean, you can callous everything to tolerate more stress. And the stress comes in three forms, mechanical loads, which is kind of what people think of when they think of exercise and, and uh, physical stress. And there's, then there's chemical stresses, which is what we put our, our body, um, what we put in our body when it comes to food. Uh, we also get exposed to um, toxins constantly. And then there is the mental emotional stress, which as baseball guys, you're fully aware of how uh, imperative that is and how it beats on people. So we're trying to callous the body uh, in all three of those regards so they can tolerate more without falling apart with that comes higher outputs. So again, our bias is to make sure the body can tolerate stress. But with that, because we're putting these crazy loads on people because we're comfortable doing so they get stronger, they get faster, they get the bat speed, the arm speed, all the things that you want, but we are making sure that they're not heading towards tragedy. So I went on a huge rant there. So I hope I answered some of your question. Yeah, we got, we got a lot to, to unpack there, but uh, let's go ahead and, and stick with uh, just compensators. And whenever we say that, I, I think that sometimes that can be a bad connotation, but it's not necessarily bad all the time. There's just some guys who can overcome what their body has, or has built up over time. And so uh, kind of unpack that for us a little bit on compensating uh, good and bad. Um, and, and then we'll just kind of, I'll just kind of roll from there if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, I work with a ton of baseball guys. So this, this is a very common point that I get across to people. Compensation is absolutely necessary. Most of us, and I'm sure Cody could attest to this because he played football for quite a few years, wouldn't get out of bed if we couldn't compensate. You know, I played football for 13 years and I smashed the crap out of my body. I used to train six hours a day with my athletes like an idiot. So my body got pretty beat up. So if, if I couldn't compensate, getting out of bed would be difficult. I couldn't do the things I want to do. But... There is a, um, there's less margin for error for people who are repeating the same motion over and over again with a ton of force, particularly off of a dirt hill, AKA pitchers. 
you can't have body that has a bunch of compensations in it if you're pitching. You will end up with injuries if you if you are compensating. So there is there is good compensation in regards to survival, and there is compensation that I think is a little bit sketchy if you're trying to be um, a pitcher that's throwing at a very high level. You know, I don't want to say high velocity because even the guys who are throwing 80 poo, you know, the guys who are the, the crafty lefties still have lots of opportunities for injuries. If your body is full of compensation or if their body is full of compensation. Sure. And, you know, working with guys for, you said like 13, 14, 15 years, uh, are, are there any common things that, uh, that we should look for now with, with the audience that we have and looking through this, it's almost all baseball coaches. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the audience and, and, and on the professional through the amateur level, but we're not, we're not certified and we're not, we don't have our degree in the same things as you do. Yeah. So kind of give us a rundown of maybe there's some things that we can look for or notice that if this is happening constantly, or if, or if this pops up in a screen, uh, then we, we maybe maneuver those guys to somebody that has a little more expertise. But, but what should we look for? Uh, gosh, I would say the thing I hear the most from skills coaches, whether it's a pitching coach, a hitting coach, um, even high level coaches, uh, um, talking with some of the high-level Mariners guys, is our guys are like he's having a hard time repeating this motion that he used to be able to repeat. Like he can't stay back. He can't. You know, the the things you guys say all the time. Um, his his arm slots changed. His bat path has changed. If it's not making them a better athlete and they're not more efficient doing it, but their body wants to do it, it's probably because they're compensating. Their body is not comfortable being in that position, either because there's inflammation there or the body is deemed necessary to limit that range because there's something that's not functioning appropriately. So just, I guess, make yourself aware of that. If you're seeing something like, man, coach, I'm trying to do this and I used to be able to do it, but now I can't, my body doesn't want to be there. So athletes don't want to get worse. I mean, they're, they're constantly fighting to try and get better. So if something is, is making them uh, perform at a lower level or making them less efficient, I should say, there's probably a reason behind that. Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, something that, that uh, Cody has brought uh, to the table and, and, and really uh, pushed on the players is training dirty to play clean. And so trying to stress, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that before, but trying to stress, great, them, stress them in a training environment so they can kind of flow in, in games. And so uh, I like to talk about the gap between the two, because I, I think as baseball coaches, sometimes we get into one or the other and, I mean, it's just like a pendulum swing where you're either like, hey, go figure it out against the machine throwing 100 from 30 feet. Or it's like, hey, let's just throw, you know, cookie cutter uh, BP from 40. And it's and it's somewhere in between, you know, on most mm-hmm. on, on everything that we do. Uh, but what's that balance for you? Because I think that's what we're all striving to do. And it's probably based on the individual. But you mentioned callousing that earlier. And that's that's what mm-hmm. what, you know, reminded me of, of the different things that we're trying to do. Uh, but what's the balance? Uh, how do we find that? And, and just with your experience, tell us a little bit about it. Well, I mean, if you were to put the, the, the play dirty to play clean in my world, it would mean um, I need to stress these guys at a very high level to make sure they can tolerate the loads when they go back to the game. When they go back to working with you guys and have to work consistently day in, day out, particularly in an environment like spring training where they're getting more load on their body than they would in a normal game day. Mm-hmm. Um, because they go from you know working out an hour – maybe an hour and a half to all of a sudden they're on the field for six to eight hours in a day. So we have to, we have to push them. We have to make sure their body can tolerate those loads. 
Um, so that's that, I guess that would be kind of the, uh, I guess, metaphor in regards to our world. Um, the only reason I'm comfortable doing that is because of what we do on the table, because of what we do with MAT, because we can check to make sure we haven't created a compensation by stressing their body. Okay. So it's all day in here. We're working on bodies. Either we're putting them on the table or we're doing a combination of putting them on the table and then beating the crap out of them on the floor. Mm-hmm. Now so, will that change uh, with, mm-hmm. with 160 game or 140 plus game season? Uh, as far as like stressing them, because the game at that oh, point sure. is going to be the stress. For sure. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're just hoping to maintain during the season. This is a, a talk we have with our, with our athletes at every level. Um, and you hope by the time they get to the pros, if they've been here for long, long enough that they actually are hearing you, but there is a, a bit of a, a knucklehead factor as you're well aware with some of these guys, you know, they get kind of locked in on just crushing heavyweight all the time, but we're always trying to, to, um, educate our guys like when you get to the season now it's just maintenance you have to try and keep what you worked on this whole off season so we can't try and make gains during the season it's just a bad idea you, you've worked so hard to play baseball so go play baseball do it do it at the highest level go crush it um, and our job is to try and keep things functioning so I work with the Mariners team during the season I'll be there twice every homestand normally if it's not you know right a massive pandemic. Um, I'd be there twice every homestand working with the guys to make sure their bodies are functioning at the highest level and, and uh, going down in spring training and setting a foundation for that as well. Um, so I, I feel extremely grateful to be working with this team. And I'm hoping that is the future for, for a lot of baseball teams when they become aware of the power of what we're doing, of, of mm-hmm. getting bodies functioning at the highest level. Because these guys are the best compensators in the world. When I see these guys, these athletes that you guys are working with, there's nobody better at finding ways to get strong and hiding their weaknesses mm-hmm. until they can't anymore, until they make that one final throw or that one swing and they tear an oblique or they rupture a UCL or something gives because they just can't hold anymore. They've, they've run out of ability to compensate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned Matt a couple of times, which is short, uh, an acronym for muscle activation techniques. And one of the art, the article in the uh, athletic, you mentioned uh, not stretching. And, <laughs> and so you said that, that our muscles don't stretch. So we don't, right. you're, you didn't like uh, static stretching or really dynamic stretching. Uh, but I, I first want, want you to kind of walk us through uh, just what Matt is like uh, for, for okay. everyone listening or for most people listening, I, you know, I had never heard of that until Cody sent me the article and then we had had some different conversations. So just on a very basic level, what is it? And then we can unpack it from there. Let me backpedal first. So these guys don't think I'm a, I'm an idiot and full of crap because I think <laughs> stretch, stretching is goofy. Sure. Um, we have to make sure we define what stretching is first. Um, if you're doing a static stretch where you're looking for more range of motion, and holding that position between 30 and 60 seconds, that's what I consider a static stretch. So just to clarify, because if you ask 10 different health professionals what stretching is, you might get 10 different answers. Whether it's a physician or a chiropractor, a massage therapist, they might give you 10 different answers. I just want to clear that for people, sure. clarify for that people. If you are doing static stretching, all you are doing, and this is proof, there's, there's, there's 30 years of evidence of this, all you are doing is manipulating the nervous system to get a temporary shutdown in that tissue. That's why you gain the range of motion. You're not actually making physiological changes to the tissue. Because if you could make physiological changes to the tissue in that low load environment, what would happen when you're throwing a ball 90 miles an hour off a dirt hill? Mm -hmm. 
your arm would explode, it would vaporize, right? Because the forces you're dealing with are so much higher than what you could reproduce while you're looking to, you know, stretch your hamstring out or doing a sleeper stretch. It's not even in the same universe in regards to the forces you're putting through your arm. Mm -hmm. So just to clarify that, um, sure. dynamic stretching, I'm a huge fan because you're just moving through, you're moving through motion. Uh, again, what that means, move through range, right? Move through the range that you possess. So a lot of times we, we end up clarifying these things for athletes. They know um, the boundaries of where we want them working in. Because if you're, if you're looking to gain range of motion because you feel tight, we might want to figure out why you're tight in the first place. Okay. Right? Because tightness to us is just a symptom. It's, right. it's, it's, it's just like pain, swelling. It's something your body's putting there as a means of protecting you. And that is your body's prime directive down to the mitochondrial level, down to the cellular level. Everything our body is set to do is to protect you to survive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and, and so if and, you want to jump into kind of what MAT is, sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to cut you and, off there. No, no, no. I was going to say that I think, uh, again, in the article, uh, somebody compared this to walking on ice, like our body locks up whenever it, it's kind yeah. of the fight or flight thing of, of you know, and yes. it's, it's the, or, or I guess you could call it uh, locking up whenever you see, you know, it's just something that's primal that we've done our entire lives. But uh, right. But yeah, the walking on ice analogy really put it into perspective for me because I was like, oh, that, yeah. that's so true. Our muscles lock up whenever, if, you know, one of the symptoms that whenever we feel danger or we feel like we're going to lose our balance or whatever. Uh, but yeah, as far as Matt goes, I mean, is it something that, uh, and this is really a, a couple of questions, is it something that's long? Is it something we have to be certified to do? And can we do it in a team setting? Because thinking of like spring training where every like this was my first one I ever experienced. And it was like 150 guys, like all over the place. Right. right? And I'm just running around trying to figure out if I'm in the right place or not. (laughs) So, I mean, so there was a lot of stuff going on. But is it something that can be done in that kind of a setting? Uh, Just kind of walk us through. So really, how long does it take? Uh, is it something that's going to take 30, 40 minutes, like some things, uh, do we have to be certified? Are there some different things that we can do to help with this? And, and can we do it in a large setting? And it sounds like you with the Mariners have been working through some different stuff like that. Yeah, there, there is different levels just so you understand kind of how things are laid out within the MAT world. There is jumpstart, which is your basic, basically just, um, a small grasp of the information, learning how to do some ISOs. Uh, and this is what we did with uh, the Mariners staff. We actually spent uh, the better part of two years teaching their entire staff mm-hmm. um, an abbreviated form of what we do on a daily basis so they can work with athletes when we're not around. Um, great program. We end up teaching all their strength coaches and all their PTs, athletic trainers. Um, even their like massage guys were in, in, in uh, the classes. And it was fantastic because not only were they able to learn their skill set, they were able to understand the paradigm shift that MAT is, that Maybe there's a reason why someone is has symptoms. Maybe we should figure out why and address cause rather than treat the symptom. Mm-hmm. So, and that to me that saves a lot of baseball lives. Um, and that sounds dramatic, but if you can start addressing why people have these things, you might minimize the opportunity for the guys to have shortened careers because they're ending ending with massive traumatic injuries, the UCLs and the and the oblique tears and the the back. Um, you know, you're getting disc ruptures and hamstring tears and these, these really traumatic injuries. So if we can minimize the opportunity for those, I can deal on a day-to-day basis with the, you know, my back's a little sore, my shoulder's a little sore. If we can just minimize the opportunity for complete blowouts, because those things usually happen when these guys are at rope's end. So, so there is the jump start, and, and that doesn't necessarily require certification. You can go actually online now and learn these classes on the muscle okay. activation techniques website. 
Um, and then you can go into what's called uh, the specialist program, which is still online now, which is awesome for people within the baseball world because you guys don't have a year where you can spend uh, weekends in Denver. And that's mm -hmm. when I went through it. I spent about a year and a half going to classes just for the specialist program, and then another five years going through mastery, then another five years going through all the RX stuff. So those are the different levels. Um, but for you guys, what I'd recommend is if you want to understand this stuff, go on the muscle activation techniques website and start looking at the jump start and seeing how you can, um, cause you can't, you can do it in a team like setting. You can grab somebody that's like, Oh, my hamstring feels a little weird and do a quick range of motion test and go, man, okay, we're going to do some isometric holds here. Go, we're going to go six seconds. And then you work through, you know, six sets of that. And then these guys can get up and run away. Okay. But that's that's extremely powerful too. And again, it's it's not going to necessarily quote unquote fix things, but it can hold them from com complete blowouts down the road. So is jumpstart kind of the thing that you do right before training to kind of awake uh, awaken the body or awaken the nerve endings? Um, it's something you do if you have that skill set. Okay. Uh, what I do with the guys when I see them, um, I can work on them for five to ten minutes. But it's, it, I don't want to sound like I'm blowing myself up here because it's going to sound like a jackass. But the stuff that I've, I've learned for, through 16 years of doing this has allowed me to have a very, very powerful tool. Um, actually was chosen one of 10 people in the world to go learn the very highest level of MIT. And we have this really cool little device now. It's a STEM device that allows it to do things so much more efficiently. Um, what used to take me half an hour to work through these patterns now takes me about six minutes. So mm -hmm. it's just much more efficient. Um, that's what I wanted to show the, you guys down there at the last, uh, um, when I was supposed to come down for spring training, but that all got thrown out the window when we got right. yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. So, so with, uh, with Matt, you're, you're kind of, is it Matt or just, you call it MAT? I guess it'd be more MAT. I keep calling it Matt. Good either way. But, yeah. But with, with these neural pathways, sometimes they get closed, right? Especially with compensating and doing different yeah. things. And yeah, not necessarily uh, closed. Um, like where we lose maybe. the ability to contract tissue is at end range of motion. So it's actually okay. a pretty cool evolutionary little thing is because most people don't spend a lot of time at end range of motion with a whole bunch of force. Okay. So if the body is limiting that range of motion, which is what tightness is. So if my biceps aren't able to function correctly, meaning I've stressed them somewhere along the line, which I'm sure you could come up with a million ways to stress your biceps as an athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly if you're a thrower because your bicep is basically another rotator cuff muscle. Um, if you've been stressing that tissue and your body perceives it's necessary to downregulate that tissue, it's like, whoa, this guy's getting stressed. We're going to bring these guys up and downregulate this guy just as a means of protection. That's going to happen at end range. So it's okay. either going to show at, at full, full flex or full extension. So where we test and find weaknesses at end range. But going back to what I was saying is most people don't spend a lot of time at end range with a ton of force. So they never really run into these issues. Well, you guys do. Mm -hmm. Every time someone throws a ball, they're at about six different end ranges, probably more than that. I mean, if you, you count for trunk and hips, and they're probably at 30 different end ranges. And if the tissues aren't able to contract there, they're going to rely on other tissues, which is your connective tissue, your bones, your ligaments, to try and tolerate the force that the muscles are supposed to be tolerating. Sure. And that's where you start running into, gosh, my back's sore, my hip's a little tight. Um, something doesn't feel right. I feel inflamed, right? So rather than just treating that symptom, we want to figure out why these things are happening. What, what is not doing its job? We call it the, excuse my friends, the shitty teammate analogy. Mm -hmm. So if, if, like you're the, yeah, if you're the only guy in the field working his nuts off, who's going to get angry first? 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times when you see someone who's got a rotator cuff tear or a hamstring tear or an oblique tear is a great example because it's such a, a commonplace injury now with baseball. It's usually because a bunch of other things weren't functioning like they're supposed to. And that particular tissue is being asked to handle that load that they're supposed to be 15, 20, 30 muscles tolerating that force. And all of a sudden this one muscle is being asked to tolerate that load in that particular instance. It can't do it. Right. These are all force yeah. equations. If you actually broke down uh, the forces that baseball guys are producing and reducing in a swing or in a throw, it might make you want to walk away from baseball. It's like, whoa. I mean, it's, it's insane. The loads these guys are putting on these tiny tissues in their arms. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a miracle that things don't explode every time they throw. Right. But then you start to back off and go, okay, maybe it's because we have all these guys doing their job at the right time at the right place in a perfect world. I really like that. And I'm, I'm all in on analogies. Uh, thank yeah. you for helping me understand it on a yeah, basic sure, level sure. for sure. But how, actually, I'm full I mean, of them. So <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. good. Maybe I can learn something today. Uh, so actually how many like movement patterns are there in the body? Because it, it you're, you keep talking about different movement patterns, yeah. patterns affect yeah. different things, but just kind of open that up for us. So Greg Roscoff, uh, who is the founder of MAT, spent, gosh, the better part of 25 years figuring out this massive Rubik's Cube. Um, and, and like most things in medicine, most of it happened by accident. He was just a trial and error guy. He started poking around with these things um, a number of years ago. And then he started seeing this, this um, repetition. Like these guys are seeing, I'm seeing these guys weaken the same things every time they come in. Um, and he started to figure things out. And, and it, to make a long story short, uh, he figured out there was 43 different movement patterns. And within every one of those 43 patterns, um, there are muscles that correspond with those patterns. So, for example, trunk rotation is pattern one of your body. And the tricky part this is about this whole thing is it's a hierarchy. So pattern one takes precedent over pattern two. Like if I tried to work on pattern two on somebody and pattern one was weak, it would shove you back to pattern one. So it's, it's this crazy hierarchy system that all lays itself out, but you have to have the expertise to do it. And that's where the education part comes in. So there's 43 different movement patterns associated with the body. And it's just a process of working through them, which has become much more efficient with this tool that I've been exposed to. Thank God. Um, it used to take me weeks to work through this stuff, but now I can, I can hammer out the first 20 patterns in a couple hours. When I was down in spring training, I worked with a couple guys. Jake Lamb was one of my guys, and I got to see him. We hammered out, gosh, all the way up through his feet, which is up through pattern 31, and it took us a little over two hours. And that used, literally used to take me weeks to work through that because it was so much more oh, time-consuming. Time yeah. I really like that. And does that, does this, does MAT change uh, in season versus the off season? I know we talked about the different stress levels and I'm assuming that it does, but can you yes. t- kind of tell us yes. what the difference would be? Um, in regards to what I do, I don't think it's appropriate to start somebody with the pattern work mid season. And you might okay. get differing opinions from people um, that do what I do, but I've seen and experienced guys have, who have come to me during the season and you guys know millimeters of change within your game create inches and in outcomes. Mm-hmm. So if I'm changing someone's feedback system um, at, a, at a pretty drastic level in an attempt to keep them getting hurt, but all of a sudden they can't hit the broadside of a barn with a ball, it doesn't really behoove them, right? I mean, it doesn't, sure. it doesn't really benefit them. They're like, man, I feel awesome, but 
bro, I can't, like, I can't hit a baseball. What's going on? So I've had that happen a couple of times. I'm like, wait a second. I can't do this to people during the season because it takes them a couple of weeks to adapt. Well, right. a couple of weeks in baseball equals slump, mm-hmm. right? Or man, you're now benched because you can't throw a strike. So what I do with guys during the season is more of a patchwork approach. Um, if they haven't been exposed to this stuff, if they've been exposed to the pattern work, then it's just checking them. It's, it's, you're not making massive changes now. You're just repairing things that may have been quote unquote shut down. They've been overstressed and they've uh, gone back into a compensatory mode again. So it's much easier if they've been exposed preseason, which is what I was doing with the Mariners um, when I was down there. Like the first part of spring training is trying to get as many guys exposed as possible. So what I saw them during the season, then it's just touch ups. Okay. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm trying to think. Uh, w- with players, what has been what has been like the the overarching theme of like so you've worked on these guys, and uh, what what has been some different just common phrases that have been used whenever whenever you guys are done? If it's just like the eye opening moment of oh man this this <laughs> insert whatever feels great. Yeah, I mean you guys are aware that baseball players are don't have the cleanest mouths on earth, so there's usually a lot of f bombs involved. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's um, a pretty drastic, like, like I was saying earlier, most athletes at this level are so in touch with their bodies. Um, for them to experience what it feels like to walk around with range of motion and without compensation and pain and symptoms is mm-hmm. huge. Because, I mean, I'm sure you guys can attest to this. Mm-hmm. Most baseball players are playing with some sort of soreness every single day, day in, day out. Sure. And they just suck it up, right? They just grind through it. I mean, the season's such a grind. And they spend time in the training room dealing with all these symptoms. So if they can come into the training room and not have these symptoms or wake up in the morning and feel good, bro, it's just, I mean, it's like a, it's like a different life form. Sure. So some guys will jump off the table and hug me. I mean, it's just like, oh, my God. I, I had no idea that I could not be in pain every time I get off, get off the table. I don't have to live off of anti-inflammatories. I don't have to, you know, spend time in the cold tub every single day because I'm in so much pain. So sure. Yeah. And, and another thing that uh, has been a real focus on us is just like uh, prep work and like pre-practice activation. And so what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, what we can do there? And is there a way to like fine tune the nervous system to make sure it's ready to go? Well, that's, that's Pandora's box question. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got there's so much real. Yeah. There's so much relativity to that. Right. And you think of every single athlete, how different they are in their history. Well, I mean, that's, that's a really open-ended question. Um, I think there is, there's definite ways to prepare athletes for activity, but if their body is in, in such a poor state of, of neurological function, even doing activity prep can be enough to put them in an inflammatory state. Okay. And you take, and, and I don't even equate this to years anymore, but if you want to um, kind of simplify the equation, you take a 32-year-old baseball guy, who's been through the ringer. He's had five or six injuries, a couple surgeries, which I think is pretty commonplace now at that age. They've, they've been through it. Um, and not to brag, but unless they're my guys, you know, that sounds, sounds terribly arrogant. Uh, I've been lucky enough that the guys that started when they were young, again, I need some wood to knock on, um, haven't had a lot of those injuries because they've been taken care of. They've, they've, they have a grasp of how to take care of their body and how to prepare themselves. Um, but if you take that guy who's 31, 32, and, and you put him under a bunch of lunge walks and, and sprints and whatnot, and he, his body's full of compensations, he might not feel real good. 
um, after that. He might feel like there's some blood flow to his body, but man, my back's still really tight. I got to do some additional things. I need to take a few Advil or Aleve or um, God forbid Voltaren or something to that level to try and get rid of this inflammation. So I, I don't think there is a, um, a, a huge blanket approach to this. There has to be more specificity, just like when you guys are looking at someone's swing. Sure. You can't just say this swing is for everybody. You know, you can't look at someone's uh, pitching motion and go, yeah, you, you should have this pitching motion because this guy was doing it. You know, that, that's, that's, that's just correlational science, which is bad science. So we have to figure out a way to make these things more specific for people. Okay. So how, how would we do that? Like, uh, and for most of our <laughs> listeners, I mean, we, we've got hitting right. coaches, uh, yep. a lot of hitting coaches, some front office guys, uh, some college guys, amateur guys, pitching coaches. But I mean, yep. for the most part, how, you, you know, we want to individualize. And I think our, our uh, organization has done a fantastic job of making that a priority. Uh, individualized mm -hmm. plans but uh, again we're not certified to do so and we can collaborate but just between you know you and I what would your advice be if we wanted to individualize uh, our movement prep to the individual is there maybe different buckets we can put them in uh, um, I know you mentioned gosh. 43 movement patterns uh, yeah 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 I mean there's isometric things you can be doing uh, but that still okay. requires you at least at least some exposure to the jump start if guys aren't willing to do that, the best thing you can do is just proceed with caution, like stay out of end ranges because that's where we have the inability to contract tissue, right? But the problem with that is if, if you're playing baseball, you're going to be in end range. I mean, every time you swing a bat, you're, you're not letting go of it. So something's got to slow that thing down. You're at end range. And that's where injuries happen. There's no coincidence those things happen at end range because there's supposed to be something decelerating that motion or in physics terms, negative acceleration. Um, something has to slow that stuff down. Well, mm -hmm. if the muscles can't fire when they're supposed to and other muscles are being asked to do that, that's when you end up with muscular tears or ruptures of tissue or you end up with ligamentous problems or uh, you end up with um, the articular tissue, your cartilage, mm -hmm. whatnot, starts to get shredded on one side. You end up with labrum problems in the hip or in the shoulder. So I, I would just say try and stay out of end ranges if they're not willing to learn at least some of the jump start stuff. I think it would behoove all, all the people to at least look into that because it's not, it's not rocket science. Not saying you guys can't handle rocket science, but it's, it's something you could achieve in a short period of time and have the, the understanding where you could grab somebody, throw them on the ground, do a couple things, go, okay, let's go. Yeah. And, and as far, as far as in ranges go, you're talking about pitching and throwing. So does like the Movement. weight of an object, yeah. yeah. Does weight of an yeah. object have uh, any, any effect on that? So thinking like, maybe light weighted balls or throwing or frisbees or we use like the the yeah. chuck it which is the you know the dog yeah. toy with with the right the yeah ball. yeah um yeah yeah there is um some danger in using weighted objects uh weighted uh, heavy or light um, light can actually make you move through the range of motion faster than normal which can create more of a end end range like slamming motion mm -hmm. because something still has to slow that down Okay. Heavier can create um, actual changes in mechanics, right? So the guys with driveline have done a pretty good job of identifying uh, at least the boundaries they need to stay in. Uh, there is some knuckleheads out there which, that are like, trying to exceed those boundaries, which mm -hmm. ends up the guys get hurt. So, sure. And there's a reason why they get hurt. There's, there's, there's science behind every single injury. It's just the willingness for people to actually delve into it rather than look at things as lucky or unlucky. Right. 
Absolutely. So another thing that we're all kind of going through is, uh, I mean, we, we can't really work with our players every day right now and, and you can't either. And so yeah. walk us through how you're communicating with those guys and, and you can't work with them like physically, right. uh, yeah. but maybe you're sending some stuff to them. Uh, mm-hmm. Just really, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm blessed to have an awesome staff here, guys. Um, we have uh, people that handle our, our, we call uh, redefined nutrition side, which is an understanding of the environment, how it affects you from, from the chemicals you're putting in your body and your sleep and your mitochondrial function. And we have an awesome guy that handles that. We have people that handle um, our resistance training side who are also uh, schooled with an MAT. So they understand the paradigm shift. And then we have our, our RX guys, which is our high level MAT guys. So we have this awesome staff that, that is constantly in communication with guys, whether it's in season or in the middle of a pandemic or preseason or off season, they're constantly communicating with the guys on things they should and shouldn't be doing. So I'm very blessed there. I don't have to do it all myself because there's no way that could happen. Um, but right now they're just giving them workouts to do um, based on what they have access to. And so we're just trying to keep them as fit as possible. Uh, and mm-hmm. I have a, I'm, I'm pretty confident in doing that because I know where the guys were when they left. Again, there's still opportunities for things to go haywire uh, between now and then. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm still not worried about them blowing out because – you know, their bodies in this full compensatory state. So it's, I know I'm answering in a very vague way, but we're, we're just giving them things they could be doing to try and keep their body functioning as, as high as possible. So when they go back into hopefully a, a modified spring training, that there'll be less opportunity for injuries. Okay. Um, yeah. Any chance I could get you to delve into maybe a couple of things? Cause we've got anything from, like that we have we had guys who are doing weights with like a hockey mm-hmm. stick and cinder blocks i mean or <laughs> yeah. like body yeah. weight stuff yeah. some of them have yeah. access to like a home gym some of them don't i mean yeah. it, it's such a a huge range of different things yeah. but we want to get them better like we want them to be prepared and we and i think sometimes we feel a little helpless at this time because we can't work yeah. with those guys every day so Again, anything right. that you can delve into, I, I don't want you to spill all your secrets, but anything that you can well, throw at us. Let us yeah, know. there's really no secrets at all. Um, you, you kind of encompassed all of it because it's whatever they have access to. I mean, you have guys that might be living in situations where they don't have any access to resistance work at all. So we're just giving them body weight work. I tell you, you can, you can, I could ask Cody, I can make someone vomit on a three by three foot pair, um, square of cement. I mean, it, it's just an understanding of the physics of it and be able to, to throw together an exercise program for guys. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a bunch of fancy equipment. The fancy equipment gives us options, but if they don't have those options right now, we got to do what we can. So, right. and then we have guys that have access to a home gym. So it's just our guys communicating with them and understanding what it is they have access to and then building them um, a, a progression, uh, mixing things up, um, and then just, just making sure they are, are still swinging, making sure they are still throwing, uh, making sure they're getting out and doing sprint work. Cause these are all the high force activities that can lead to injuries because you can't replicate that in a weight room mm-hmm. nor would you want to try to, cause that's how you could actually hurt somebody. So okay. we make sure they have access to a field and get out and do some sprint work and go throw. And if you have to throw into a net, because that's what you have access to go do it. Uh, if you have to take some hacks off a tee, go do it. Um, but they have to keep doing those motions. I love it. And it makes a ton of sense. And, and so, uh, you're obviously really big into not, not necessarily even recovery, but just like pre recovery of making sure and then taking care of the the end problem whenever you do feel soreness. And yeah. one of the things that, that we, that is free and it's easy is sleep. 
and yeah. just thinking thinking long term. So we're in the season, and you've worked with guys, obviously, in professional baseball, and you understand uh, how, how much of a grind that is. So what are some different ways that you've helped them to recover better as far as, as sleep goes? And I, I know you talked about – maybe it was you, but the article that I was reading uh, was talking about the, the sleep ring. Uh, but what are some different advice that you give some different people – uh, what are some, what is just some different ways that you've helped them to sleep? Because I, I think it's underutilized, but it's also hard to come by. Yeah. And the best thing you can do is objectify things. You guys know this in baseball because you don't want to rely on subjective feedback from athletes because they'll just, most of the time they'll be like, yeah, I feel great. You know, like, uh, well, your aura ring says you slept like crap last night. What, what happened? What did you eat? What time did you eat? Um, did you use some blue blocking devices as a means of trying to, to get your melatonin onset to actually take place? Um, it's, it's funny. I had this discussion with one of my guys, Mitch Hanniger, a guy I worked with for, with the Mariners. Awesome guy. Phenomenal human being. But he looks at me and he's like, man, I have the hardest time sleeping. And I looked online at the top, like 10 things you shouldn't do mm-hmm. if you want to sleep right. And we do all of them. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, sure. really what you can do with baseball guys is just play for a tie. I know it's, that's horrible, but the best thing you can do is play for a tie because they're eating late. You know, they're, they're getting like adrenaline rushes at sometimes 10, 11 o'clock at night, depending on where they're from. Like if they're East Coast guys and they're playing a 10 o'clock game, it's one in the morning for them, right? So if there's all these crazy fluctuations that they're, they're throwing at their body. So just even trying to play for a tie is huge. Um, I'm not sure if you read in that athletic article, but we have what's called an adapt center here. Mm-hmm. So when you say we are into huge into recovery, you're right. We have a hyperbaric chamber. We have a uh, infrared sauna. We have a nano V device. We have PEMF. We have uh, a juve light. And these are all things that have been proven um, through a massive body of evidence and studies uh, that they, they make changes to your mitochondrial function, which allow you to recover better. And really sleep is synonymous with recovery. Mm-hmm. We, we actually are uh, creatures that do better in a sleep state than we do in a, in a conscious state. Uh, some of us more than others, but um, sleep is where we are supposed to be. That's, that's where our body does all of its adaptation. That's where all of our adaptation comes from is our sleep. So if you're not sleeping right, you're going to end up with issues down the road, whether it's disease or um, you know, bad disease like cancers and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. These things are all being tied to sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. So the best thing we can do with our athletes is get them to understand ways they can improve their sleep. And a lot of our guys have, have adopted these methods and bought their own devices. So mm-hmm. um, they like That's Matt awesome. Boyd car- carries his nano V device everywhere he goes. Um, he also has a juve light that he brings with him. A handful of guys have those little mini juves they bring, which is basically just a red light panel. And red light is basically the, the antidote to blue and blue is what keeps you from falling asleep at night. So if you're, right. If you're, you know, make sure you educate you guys on this. If they're looking at their cell phone mm-hmm. at 10, 11, 12 o'clock because they want to see, you know, anything, um, I'm not sure what these guys are up to anymore. But if they're doing that, and basically they're signaling the brain that it's, it's noon mm-hmm. or one o'clock and they're going to have a really hard time sleeping. They're delaying the onset of the melatonin, which is the sleep onset chemical by two hours. So it's, it's going to result in a lack of one of the phases of sleep, which is going to inhibit their ability to heal. So we're, I, I, the combination of giving guys um, some tools, but also just giving them information. I mean, it's, this is Athletic Training Institute is a teaching place. We, we're either providing information to their bodies via MAT or providing information verbally. Um, we're just trying to educate people so they can walk out of here with a skill set to take care of themselves. 
Mm-hmm. No, and I, and I sleep think, is uh, massive. Yeah. So, sleep so is, is it is uh, there's two things. Uh, one, I, I'm assuming TV is right there with uh, the cell phone as far as the screen and, yeah. and the yeah. blue light. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. is, does it, it matter? It didn't used if, to be. It didn't used to be when I was a kid. <laughs> this is how old I am. They weren't blue light. They weren't LED. LED okay. uh, light emitting diodes are blue light driven because they're cheaper mm-hmm. to drive. Um, and I mean, that's cell phones. That's why your battery can last for so long on a cell phone because it's blue light driven because it's really cheap. It's, it's cheap energy. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that, it's also the exact frequency and wavelength that signals your body to wake up and send cortisol into your body. So what we're seeing right now um, in epidemiology is this massive influx of, of obesity, of disease, of, I mean, if you guys look at this, it's shocking. And it all, it all goes back to when we started really getting more access to blue light devices, cell phones, okay. um, computers, um, I'm sitting in front of right now, smashing my body with. Um, <laughs> and, and you can, the best thing you can do is give them these guys little cheats because they're going to not stop playing video games when they go home. They have, they, have mm-hmm. to, they have to come down a little bit from being at the field. Um, so I have them put on blue blockers. They're little... Okay. glasses that block out blue light and sit there with, you know, dress indoors like you're outdoors, put a long sleeve shirt on so they're not getting uh, blue light smashing their skin as well, which is basically the, the your, your two big uh, inputs of light are your eyes, number one, and your skin. So if they're covering themselves up and they've got their blue light blockers on, have at it, man. And, and what will happen is they'll be on video games for like 15 minutes and start passing out because mm-hmm. they're no longer getting that message to wake up. Okay. So Good. yeah, that's huge. Does it matter? I know uh, the iPhone has like a feature to, of like night mode. Uh, <laughs> no. Does that does that help at all? No. My metaphor for that or analogy for that is like putting a it's like putting a filter on a cigarette. I mean, it's still, okay. it's not it, it's not blocking out all the frequencies of blue and green, or which are the frequencies that are signaling you to wake up. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is spend thirty five bucks or or more on a good set of blue blocking glasses. Okay. That's for me, that's that seems like a no-brainer. Those are pennies on the dollar for these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, just get some good blue blocking glasses. It, and for all of you guys, I, I would encourage you to try this because uh, it's it's shocking how different it is for you to be able to stay awake at night when you're wearing blue blocking glasses. Mm-hmm. I call it the human Pez dispenser when you're getting the, like the nodding off. That happens to me at like at nine o'clock if I put my blue blockers on as soon as the sun goes down. Mm-hmm. I can't stay awake. That's interesting. I may uh, may have to pick some up from Amazon. Uh, and another thing, you, we've talked a lot about recovery, but another thing that you mentioned, and this may <laughs> this uh, may make our friends over in Italy mad, but you mentioned that olive oil. And that, again, I'm just taking stuff that I actually understood from the article, so we can talk about it. Uh, right. But so with with olive oil, you said that it's more inflammatory than some different other oils that we cook with. And so a lot of the guys yeah. that you had, you switched them to avocado oil. So different right. little things like that. Can you can yeah. you kind of run through just a couple for us uh, that sure. we I may mean, like like even yeah. with the some blue of that was probably glasses. taken out of context. Yeah, some of that was probably taken out of context. Olive oil is really good for your body. Yeah, so the avocado oils with a higher flash point. Uh, right. I should say oils with a higher flash point. Um, coconut oil, uh, avocado oil, the, all the oils you want to cook in, or grass fed butter is phenomenal as long as someone doesn't have lactose issues. And if they do have lactose issues, let's figure out why they have lactose issues because we should mm-hmm. still be able to eat things like that without having a complete like gut meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have all these little shortcuts people are taking um, or attempted shortcuts people are taking to deal with gut dysbiosis and Crohn's disease and, and all these things that we're, we're labeling. 
as um, they're, they're really inflammatory conditions. Okay. You know, we, 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 we encompass this huge group of symptoms and we call it something. And the problem with that is we make people victims I'm like, Oh, I have Crohn's disease. And now I, you know, I can't eat this. And like, look, bro, though, that's a, a bunch of symptoms that are put together and called something. We got to figure out why those symptoms are happening. And that's why we have this guy on board. Who's actually going to school at Bastyr right now to become a naturopathic physician. Okay. He's phenomenally intelligent. And I encourage you guys to have him on at some point. He's, he's brilliant. His name is Devin. Um, but he could go way deeper into all the things that I'm referring to right now, which is the redefined nutrition of understanding the food and the sleep and the, and what we do with our adapt center and, and trying to get guys to, um, to heal at a better rate, to adapt at a faster rate. Okay. And then I, I guess, um, la one of the last things that I want to ask you before, I, I know we, we mentioned an hour and again, if, yeah. if you guys have I can any, go longer, yeah, if you guys have any any questions on uh, on anything that we've talked about or just any questions at all, let me know. But one thing that that I've been really trying to dig into, and Cody kind of got me started on this rabbit hole uh, with the book, The Brain That Changes Itself. And so mm -hmm. I've been like really trying to dig in deep. I, I was a psychology teacher uh, before taking a, the position with the Rangers, and so I, it's really interesting to me. Uh, but it, it starts there, but it, it's also something that I wanted to talk with you just about, you know, the term muscle memory. I, I know mu that right. muscles don't yeah. have memories, no. uh, but, it, but it's something that, that we're constantly battling, not necessarily the term, but just compensations that have been built over time and some which aren't bad, uh, but also some that we would want to try and fix just to make them more efficient. I'm sure you've dealt with mm -hmm. that too. Uh, so what are just your thoughts on muscle memory? Again, we're, we're all in the movement area we may not be uh, a recovery specialist like yourself, mm -hmm. um, but just different ways that we can go about changing movement patterns, uh, either that's a swing or pitching or just mm -hmm. throwing in general or just anything that we see that may not be the best for them. What are some ways that, that you think that we could go about uh, changing some stuff that may have been ingrained since they were like five years old? Right, right, right. Um, gosh. Repetition. I mean, the simple answer is repetition. Uh, with intent, right? That's you look at any expert who's in this field will tell you the same thing. The problem with that is if it's repetition with intent with a bunch of compensations that are possibly leading you toward an injury, um, that needs to be rectified. Uh, sure. Before my guys go throw a bunch in the off season, they spend two weeks with me making sure everything's functioning right. And again, I keep circling back to that because it's so. The more I learn about, it, the more it's so stinking important that we make sure the body is actually communicating effectively. Because if you're trying to teach somebody a motion, a swing, a throw, um, through a ton of repetition, but it, if they're really struggling with it, like, man, a coach, I just can't seem to do this, there, there's probably an underlying reason. And that's something okay. circling back to what I was talking about earlier. Their body doesn't want to be there for some reason. And, and oftentimes in the past, I was guilty of this. I'd get frustrated. Like, man, what's wrong with this guy? Why can't he do this motion? He did it once, and now he can't repeat it. But now learning what I've learned about the neuromuscular system, how it, it doesn't really give a crap what you think. Mm -hmm. Our subconscious mind is so much more brilliant than our conscious mind. The things it has to do and take care of as you're sitting here right now, controlling your temperature and your blood pressure. And I mean, everything, the feedback that's going on right now is, is happening without you thinking about it. So a lot of times our conscious mind screws things up. I mean, just open the paper and, and take a read. You'll see all the stupid shit that we do every single day that our conscious mind 
<laughs> lets us do. It, okay. If we just would stay out of the way and let our subconscious mind take care of a lot of these things, it would rectify itself. So a lot of, a lot of times, a lot of guys are, are, are wanting to stay out of these particular ranges of motion because their body's not comfortable being there. So, mm-hmm. but the best, the best answer I can give you in regards to teaching a quote unquote muscle memory is repetition with intent, making sure they're really highly focused. Cause when we're doing that here with guys, whether we're teaching sprint mechanics or D cell, um, things we're doing to try and get um, motions cleaner mm-hmm. uh, so they don't have a lot of what we call energy leaks. Um, sure. We're providing a really intent feedback. I want you to feel this muscle. I want you to feel this. Okay, poke them in the ass. Like, do you feel that tissue firing? Um, do, you, do you look put them in front of the mirror so that there's, you know, is an auditory learner, is a visual learner, is he a, you know, um, a kinesthetic learner? You, you have to learn the learning styles of people and say, okay, I want you to feel this. I want you to, to hear what I'm saying. You got to learn your guys and then give them a, 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 a skill set to be able to repeat that. Does that make sense? Okay. No, it absolutely makes sense. And I think that uh, another aspect of that is, and you mentioned it in getting them, getting them to have some intent with it uh, because I think buying is huge and uh, we could be right. You and I could be 100% right on what the problem is that we want to fix. But if the athlete doesn't buy into it, then it doesn't matter. And so a, a lot of the athletes are coming to you with, with already having that knowledge of, okay, I'm, I'm going uh, to Kirk to, to get this fixed. But sometimes they may disagree with you. I don't, I don't know. So what does that conversation look like if you don't necessarily get buy-in at first? Uh, I'm sure it all comes back to trust. But just walk us through that conversation because, again, coaches listening, we work with so many different players, some of which we know really well and some of which we don't know as well. And so the last thing we want to do is, is to get them to shut us off completely from what we're trying to do. But we also may be right. They may be right or whatever. Right. What does that conversation look like for you whenever you're trying to get them to change something that, again, maybe haven't been ingrained in them since uh, they were started at T-Ball? Right, right. I'm sure you guys are aware of this, particularly you because of your major psychology. You almost have to be uh, a therapist to do what we do um, at any level of coaching to try and figure out where you're client or your your you guys are working with clients too right your your athletes are at because if if you're trying to mash them with a bunch of information at a level where their brain is not currently existing it's not going to match up right you have to figure out where their emotion motivation is like why are you here what what are you trying to achieve and once you figure out where they're at it's much easier to provide information to get them to understand you're on their team like, okay, I get where you're at and what you want to work on. What, let me help you. Here's some things for you to try. Rather than ramrodding information to people, and, and everyone who's been a coach or worked with people at some point in their life is guilty of that. You're like, fuck, that didn't work. Right, you know, they walk out and they're like, Oosh, boy, I, I screwed that one up. I tried to smash information to somebody, you know, jamming a square into a circle, and, and, I, could see, you know, and I could see and feel that they were not receptive. They were counting ceiling tiles by the time I was done talking to them. <laughs> right, 100%. Right. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so with, with, we've got a couple of questions, and I'm, I'm going to unmute those guys just so we can hear their context. Sometimes it's lost in text. So we're going to yep. start with Connor. Connor works for the Rangers. He's uh, our hitting analyst, I think is his title, but a uh, lifelong learner. So here's, here's Connor and his questions. Go ahead, Connor. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. This is awesome stuff. And say, so, like, one thing I'm curious on, is there, like, a sliding scale and difficulty of like addressing certain compensation mechanisms. I know like we talk with some of our, like our ATs and our director of high performance on like 
some like weight bearing joints being difficult to address like the ankle like I'm just yeah. curious are there like a sliding scale of things that we see that are like more difficult to address and things that are easier to address um yes again that's kind of a loaded question but that's why we do everything on the table we're trying to eliminate multi-joint motion out of the picture we're trying to isolate as much as we can because your body is basically a compilation of isolated parts right so we're trying to isolate as much as we can to make sure all those muscles are doing their job appropriately um i'm not sure if that's answering your question yeah, yeah it, it's just very it can be very complicated when you're trying to address a compensation within a movement or in a standing position. To me, that's like watching a car drive by and trying to diagnose a, an engine problem. You know, right. just in, until I can open up the hood and start taking things apart, these guys are so good at hiding crap. I mean, that's why I'm not, and I don't want to shit on anybody here, I'm not a big believer in the FMS. I did FMS for years, and FMS is, is, is the functional movement screen. And I saw guys who could absolutely cheat their way through that and get super good scores and, and a month later completely blow out. Like this didn't make sense to me. It's one of the reasons I do what I do now is because I was doing FMS and seeing athletes fall apart. Like, I mean, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing here in this equation? So there has to be something more to this equation. There has to be a way to actually break things down and make sure all the isolated parts are doing their job appropriately. And this communication network that's so complex is for the most part functioning at a high level. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. All right. So we've, we've got a couple more questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Cody, I'm not unmuting you for that. He says, how many, how many years in a row have the Huskies beat the Cougs in the Apple cup? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cody, you didn't go to your dub, so shut up. uh so jay i'm gonna i'm gonna find you and unmute you jay had a question about uh mat go ahead jay yeah kirk hey um appreciate your your input i'm I'm just trying to so i mean i'm I'm big into understanding my body and and even as an you know a a coach now far from being a player but um trying to understand how it all fits together it sounds like it's very holistic i'm trying to understand the difference between what i'm hearing from an average strength coach and what I might get if I walked into your facility. Right. Uh, boy, we, I mean, again, our paradigm is all based around muscle activation techniques. It's making sure there is appropriate communication. So if you, if you go to an average, I don't, and I, I have some buddies who are strength coaches, um, even the guys within the Mariners organization who, they've come a long way, put it that way, but they're so focused on objective measures on outcomes, on vertical jump, on, you know, force plates, on all these things they're doing. They're, they're like, well, he's lifting super heavy weights, so he's got to be strong. And I'm trying to get them to understand, like, man, you can produce crazy amounts of force or these outcomes and still be in a massively compensatory state. You could actually be making them more susceptible to injury because you're able to produce these forces in mid-range, and now you get to an end range like swinging a bat and you're capable of producing more force, but there's nothing there to slow that down but connective tissue, and that's when you end up rupturing something. So, again, our focus is to make sure our body is functioning appropriately so when they get to these end ranges, there's these muscles that are able to contract and slow these things down. I'm not sure if that made any sense or I just completely talked out of my ass. So hopefully that helped out a little bit. No, no, it definitely does. And last question, if I can follow up one more. Um, sure. You mentioned the physical, the chemical, the mental stresses. 
Mm-hmm. Um, is there one of those areas that you find are harder to deal with than another? No, it's so relative to the person. So relative. Yeah. And, and for us, it's, it's like getting people to understand that as much as possible. Because if you are training perfectly, if your nervous system is awesome, but you're hammering your body with blue light and eating shitty food, you're going to struggle. You're not going to get the results you want. You're not going to adapt the way you want to. Your body's not going to um, be able to recover and get those gains and be less susceptible to injury. So it's just trying to get them to un- to understand that whole holistic method. Like how good could you be if you did all these things appropriately? It's not, again, it's not that hard. You know, it's, and there is some discipline factor involved in this, but although your guys' game is so discipline-based, um, that's why I love working with baseball athletes because they show up on time, they pay their bills, and they work hard, <laughs> right? So yeah. I've worked with other athletes from, from <laughs> multiple sports that it's, it's, it's not that way. There's just not as much discipline. So if you can get them to understand that you guys just buy into this and actually follow through with, with – for the most part, eating pretty good and getting exposure to appropriate light and you're sleeping better and you're doing the right training and you're coming in here and doing what's asked of you, you're going to be pretty stinking good because you're all special. You're all pro baseball players for a reason. You're all pretty special. Cool. Well, thanks, Kirk. Sure. Hope I helped. Thanks, Jay. And uh, we got one more. Uh, this one is from Ryan Phillips. Uh, Ryan is a high school coach in Oklahoma. Uh, Ryan, I'm, I'm going to unmute you so you can ask so we can hear some context behind what you're asking. All right. Thanks, John. Um, Kurt, thanks for doing this, first of all. Um, and where I'm coming from, I'm a, I'm a head high school uh, baseball coach. I have about 45 players. Mm-hmm. Um, what, with, with me being a novice and really just kind of learning about this uh, in the last couple of days, where would you first start um, if it was your program and you were a novice like I was uh, on the subject? What would be your first step? Uh, do you guys have an athletic training at your school? Yes. I would convince him to look at muscle activation techniques, him or her, I should say. Sorry, that was pretty, pretty sexist. But <laughs> if you can, yeah, if you can get them to um, at least take a look at it and encourage them to take a look at this because they're going to be your, your help. Asking okay. you, asking you to go out on a field when you're trying to manage a whole high school team and start doing MAT, I don't know if that's realistic. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. It, it, this is their background, and I think for the most part, athletic trainers once they step into it and realize they start uncovering the truth about what's actually happening with people, rather than just treating symptoms or addressing cause. Ninety-nine percent of athletic trainers will buy into it and start wanting to do it. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Uh, I think we've got one more. Connor wanted to follow up. Uh, give me just a second to find where he's at. Um, you got time for one more, Kirk? I want to be respectful of your time. I have nothing but time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Really. Here, here's Connor. Hey, Kirk. Um, obviously, like, we deal with pro athletes on the pro side, but we also, like, evaluate amateur um, guys to bring into the system. Just kind of curious in like the comparison that you see between like these compensation abilities. You mentioned like pro athletes are some of the best compensators on the planet. Um, Do you see like amateurs tend to be like more malleable in like addressing some of these compensation than the pro players because of age and, you know, like those pro players getting really good at covering up their weaknesses or just kind of curious, like the difference between those two um, groups. It's just really relative. 
I mean, I've, I've had some minor league guys that were absolute freaks of nature, crazy strong, amazing body awareness. They're super competitive. So they want to beat me all the time when I'm trying to test things on the table. So it's just, it's just getting them to understand um, what we're trying to achieve with this process, kind of going back to what you guys were talking about earlier with, with, you know, convincing athletes to let me help you, you know, it's, I'm on your team, man. Um, so no, I, I, it's so relative to answer your question. Cause I've seen some guys that were minor leaguers. I'm like, man, if this guy can actually stay healthy, I'm pretty convinced he's going to be a big time big leader because the amount of body awareness, but then I'm not factoring what you guys see every day, right? I'm just thinking from a pure athletic quote unquote athletic standpoint, how amazing their nervous system is. Mm-hmm. but there's, there's a million other factors that make him a good baseball athlete. Cause I've seen some guys who are, I mean, <laughs> Matt Boyd is one of my favorite athletes in the world. I've worked with Matt since he was 13 years old. He's a phenomenal guy, probably one of the best human beings you'll ever meet in your life. Literally the worst athlete I've ever worked with. And he would attest to this. He'd like fall down during warmups. He's still, he's still a, a big goofball, but you put him on a baseball field and he's a freaking genius. But He's a pretty example because I, I can't like, I can't equate like what I see on the table with with being an all star pro baseball player. So it'd be cool if I could do that, but I can't. Um, all I can do is get things functioning and then let them go do what they do because a lot of the guys who spent their entire life, like Matt has, he was raised by a coach, and you know someone like Cody. Um, who's been raised by a coach, they can do some things with baseballs and bats that the average human can't because of the, what we were talking about earlier, muscle memory, millions of repetitions with intent. They're just that much better. They're that further along um, than some of the guys I see because they've spent their entire life being coached by somebody on appropriately doing things. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you. Sure. Great question. I wish you had the answer to that. You'd, you'd make us a whole lot of money. <laughs> right yeah yeah i wish i had a lot of answers to a lot of things but the more i do this and i'm coming up on 50 years old and i still feel like a novice sometimes because the more i learn the more i don't know about human beings and the nervous system it's just incredibly complex i'm just incredibly grateful for greg roscoff and the things he's taught me mm-hmm. to be able to help people at the level that i can to make them um, perform at a higher level and be less susceptible to injuries you know, there's, he's, he's guy's a genius. So, well, we've got Cody who wants to ask a question. If you'll allow that <laughs> for sure. Okay. He's my guy. Let me find him over here. Uh, let's see. All right, Cody, you're, you're hot. I think, uh, I think just one of the things you helped me understand, um, was, you know, basically sequence in rotational you know, swing or throw and how sequence works, how to, you know, gain ground leverage or, you know, how to pull energy out of the ground. Um, and I think big thing in our game right now is that a lot of people are, are teaching like force production at all costs, like produce the largest amount of force that they can possibly produce. And I think one thing we focus on something that I got from you was force transmission is actually the key. And uh, the efficiency of transmitting um, that force up the chain and into the bat or, or into the ball as you throw, um, is actually the key. So I think in terms of just force production versus force transmission, you, you touched on it a little bit earlier when you're talking about guys that can lift a lot of weight and thinking that they're strong because of that or, or something like that. And um, If you could kind of just give us uh, your insight on force production versus force transmission, ground leverage, stuff like that. 
Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, my perspective on that, it's, it's making sure that that neuromuscular connection is there. Uh, again, if I've seen a lot of guys who can lift a lot of weight, and then you put a bat in their hand, they're a boob. They, they, they're just like, whoa, what just happened? There's no, the communication network that's, that we call coordination is not there. And or they haven't had the feedback from someone like yourself to provide them with the necessary tools to be able to understand how to sequence the swing. So the best thing you can do is callous the body to, to continue to improve the ability to uh, communicate the sequencing of these events that equal force output, right? Does that make sense? And force transmission, as you're calling it to be able to put all this force you're creating through your trunk and through your hips to be able to translate that onto a ball is incredibly complex and all reliant on the communication within the body. Right? So, I mean, if you guys see this and you watch someone when they're four years old, three years old, swing a bat and you're like, Oh yeah, he might be able to swing. And then you watch someone else and you're like, oof, he's, you can't give up on them, but three or four years down the road, all of a sudden they understand how to do it. I think there is just some innate abilities in people. And I don't think anybody within the um, neuromuscular world will argue this. Um, there's, there is some innate abilities, whether or not people are willing to work on them to get better. That's boy, that's a huge, huge giant package to unravel. Right. I don't know if I answered your question. Um, yeah, cool. Good. So Chase has a question. Chase Lambin is our AAA hitting coach, and he has a question okay. for you. Okay. Go ahead, Chase. Hey, Kirk. Um, great stuff. I'm, I'm curious when you talk about how the, the guys raised by coaches have better uh, you know, movement patterns or better muscle memory, quote-unquote, and – I have an eight year old son and I go back and forth on whether or not I should really like try to coach him the way I coach my hitters, or if I should just let him be himself and be natural and train his intent and, uh, you know, just let him have fun. Or do I really start to try to work on the things I know about, you know, sequencing and force production and transmission, all that. Um, what, what's your, what's your age in terms of working on kids, uh, you know, neuromuscular, uh, training or you just let them right. let them play until a certain age <clears throat> um you know that that's probably a really good question for cody being raised by a coach honestly because i think there's there is um if you look at the continuum there there's both some very large negatives uh if you, if you coach your kid the wrong way uh because they're your kid i mean if you're if you're walking home from a game or you're getting in the car and you're up their ass they're, you're going to lose contact with your kid. And that's first and foremost, like I going back to my first thing I said, it was I'm a huge family guy. And one of the things I had to learn and I learned from <laughs> uh, this little guy we called Mr. Miyagi, he was a little softball coach. My daughter was a huge competitive softball athlete. And I got after her one day cause she was a catcher and she wasn't blocking balls. She was being lazy and picking them. And I, I screamed at her. I said, you got to block that. And he, <laughs> He, he, I don't know if you can see me right now, but he gave me the, come here, you know, I, and I walked over to him and all the parents are cracking up laughing at me, you know, cause they know what I do. And he said to me, uh, the most important thing I ever learned about coaching girls, he said, girls have to have fun to win. Boys have to have, have to win to have fun. 
and he just walked away and just dropped the mic. I'm like, holy shit, it just blew me away. But then I started really thinking about like what I'm doing with my athletes and what I'm doing with my kids. Because if I'm if I'm up their rear end constantly, they're going to stop talking to me, and I don't. You don't want that. So again, this might be a really good question for Cody. But for the most part, when I'm, I get some, for lack of a better phrase, uh, Nazi parents who call me with a nine year old kid, and I want him to be you know the best baseball player ever, and he's really good, and he needs to work on his speed, and and I sense the fact that they're trying to push their kid too hard. I'm like, man. Why don't you uh, back off a little bit, let your kid play, let them enjoy this because if it's not fun, they're not going to want to do this anymore. They're going to burn out. And there is a high burnout factor in people that are being pushed too hard by their parents. So, and I, I think as coaches, when, when I, you know, when I go back to looking at, you know, uh, Matty Boyd and, and, and Cody and some of these guys who are raised by coaches, Blake Snell is another example um, they were raised by people who understand that and, and understand the right things and the wrong things to say to your athletes to motivate them and to keep them motivated and to make them better. Um, Blake is a guy who's a perfect example who's someone just innately a freak. I mean, he's an absolute freak of nature. So it's just keeping him healthy is enough to make him one of the best in baseball. But yeah. So I hope I answered your question. You did. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, sure. My pleasure. I got one for you. Okay, so okay. I have a <laughs> I have a one and a half year old, and I'm not yeah. quite on Cody's uh, baby movement pattern plan yet. <laughs> uh, but but I uh, thinking down the line, and I had Greg Rose on uh, about a year and a half ago, and he talked about some different stages when uh, young players are growing up that are better than others for training different things, and so. Uh, I'm looking back through my notes and, and just tell me what your thoughts are on this and, and kind of the balance between the two, because this is kind of in line with, with what Chase is, has got too. But he said that, that the best players are athletes first and turn to sports second. And he said that before age six and during puberty is the best time to train speed because the growing body's intention within the skeletal system. Uh, and then strength development uh, is like 13 plus. And so he mentioned like the ages between eight and 12 are fairly good for different skills because they're not growing very fast and they don't have a ton of testosterone. And so right. it, it's kind of, I, I was, I was looking at that going, okay, so that's why multiple sports as a, as a young man are, you know, really important or just multiple things that, that you're going out and jumping around and doing some different stuff. But just, are, do you kind of echo the same thing? Because I, I wrote that down because I was like, oh, that's really interesting because I know a little yeah. bit about how the body works, but at the same time, yeah. I'm like, man, that's, he's, he's pretty sharp, but what do you yes, on that? Yeah. I think, I think that's pretty cool. I, I still think it's a little bit dangerous to put um, parentheses or, 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 or brackets on things like that because there's so much variability. I mean, I had a guy come here at 12 years old who was throwing 91 miles an hour and most guys will call bullshit on it until he talked to Cody and he knows who he is. This guy was a freak. He was shaving when he was like 11. I mean, he was, wow. the guy was, it, it, my point is there's there, there's so much relativity this equation sure. to say that I need to start pushing my kid when he's eight years old to get faster. Man, you might burn him out. Uh, the best mm -hmm. thing you can do is just get him outside, get him playing. The worst mm -hmm. thing you can do, particularly for boys, is overexpose them to video games. Okay. It's the absolute worst thing you can do okay. because boys inherently will take the path of least resistance. We're lazy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, for the most part. So if you expose them to video games and they, and they start to perceive that they they can compete, which we always want to do mm -hmm. without getting off their ass, that's all they're going to want to do. 
So there's a large part of people that aren't competing in sports anymore because they can sit at home without any effort and, and compete from there. So, I mean, the, the video game world is going bananas right now. Um, it's actually like the number one most watched sport, which I think is silly, is these people sit in arenas and watch people play video games. I, I, I look at my son, I'm like, dude, what the hell? I, have, I don't understand this at all. It makes no sense to me. But he's like, well, you like watching football. I'm like, yeah, because there's people competing. And it's, in his logic, it makes sense. But the worst thing you can do is, is, is provide an, an out for the, the laziest creatures on earth, which is teenage boys. So, like, limit it. Limit their screen time really like the, the most you can. Get them outside. Get them playing. Um, and get them competing. Like, understanding competition is huge because I think – uh, we put so much emphasis on winning and losing, right? That people, they get their feelings hurt. They get super sensitive. Like, oh, I lost. I don't want to do this anymore. I've, I've failed. And getting to understand that feeling forward is really huge. You know, you have, the only way you get better is just to keep working. And if you gave me 100% effort, the outcome doesn't matter. There's some really cool books on this. One is called Mindset. Um, Carol Zweck was the author that wrote it. It's a phenomenal book. But understanding praising out outcome versus praising effort is so huge. And it's what we do in here all the time. It's like, bro, I don't care that you drop the weights when you're doing hundred pound dumbbell presses. You didn't fail. You just figured out where your limits were today. And you gave me max effort. I'm proud of you, man. Nice work. Right. And it's, it's just constantly praising effort rather than outcomes out praising outcomes. A lot of times will make people uh, and make them quit. Like, and they've, they've done a ton of research on this and that book will provide you all the research you want to know. And it's, it's actually pretty shocking why there's an overabundance of people with uh, fear of failure. Oh, fantastic. And, and yeah. for our listeners who are listening to a podcast or watching it on YouTube, if, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? Uh, gosh, I mean, you can call me direct. You can call my cell phone right now. I got nothing better to do. I mean, I spend <laughs> like today I'm going to study for two hours with one of my guys, um, just learning. Uh, and then the rest of the day I'm going to be with family and working on business stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty down right now. It's, it's, it sucks, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's hard for me because I'm such an extrovert. I want to help people. I want to be with people. Um, but it's also a chance for me to, to stand back and figure out what I've been doing for the last 16 years rather than be caught up in like what you guys do. You're during the season. It's, it's impossible for you to, for you to like sit back and think about how you're coaching guys. Cause you're in it, right? You got, you got to reserve that for when you have a minute to have perspective. And that's kind of what I've, I've been able to do right now, which has been kind of fun, but they can contact me uh, on our website from athletic training or call our, our, number on there you can call that as well it's it's on there or they can uh, directly email me uh, i appreciate your time kirk and i'll, I'll send sure. uh, your cell phone to the guys in the chat uh, in case Perfect. they want to get in touch with you too uh, yeah. but is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with or tell us before you go um uh, you you'd ask me uh what my like the coolest things i've learned lately and some of the books that i've read um there's a book called tripping over the truth which is um, a book about cancer which i think every one of us has someone in their life who's been touched by cancer uh it's probably the most um informative scientific book i've read in the last 15 years it's phenomenal um there's another book by matthew walker uh called why we sleep which i encourage all of you guys to read or at least listen to the audiobook uh it, it's actually quite entertaining 
Now, the first couple chapters, uh, you could probably fall asleep to, but once you get into the meat and potatoes, like chapters four and on, it's really informative. And it's, my hair stood on end a couple of times listening to it. It was like, oh my God, what are we doing right now? This is really bad where our society is heading right now. So it's, that's a phenomenal book as well. Um, if you're looking for more, more information on um, the impact of blue light, and for some of you guys who have kids, I would recommend you get into this because sometimes we get into the habit, and I was guilty of this as well, of just handing our kid an iPad or my phone because you're fucking making me crazy. Excuse my French. I just need a minute, right, to be – I need a second for you not making me crazy. But that's one of the worst things you can do. Uh, there's a guy named Matt Maruka, M-A-T-T-M-A-R-U-C-A. He's a young um, scholar uh, that has been schooled by a guy named Dr. Jack Cruz uh, with the understanding of the impact of light and what we are doing right now in our society. There's actually some really cool YouTubes and podcasts with him. If you just type his name into uh, YouTube, you'll see he's done a boatload of, of um, YouTube videos in the last, gosh, year. And anything in the last two or three months has been outstanding. He's getting better at telling the story of how this works because, it's, again, it's, it's, it's neuroscience. It's, it's extremely complicated, but he's taken it and, and made it more um, into storytelling and getting people to understand what's happening. So those are probably three things that I think are really important as parents and as coaches for you guys to understand. Cool. Cool. Kurt, I appreciate your time. I know uh, that the rest of us do as well, and I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch soon. Cody, thanks for, for putting us in touch and excellent. And uh, for those listening at a later date, you can find this one. I'll, I'll upload it to YouTube later today and reach out to Kirk directly, which I'm sure <laughs> you, you would love since you said that you're bored yeah. and you're there all day, but I uh, right. appreciate you guys time and, and we'll talk soon. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.